0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: There was a certain man from Raphael a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanai son of Jeronim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuth, and Ethanite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other called Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day, come, whenever the day came for Archanae to sacrifice, he would give portion of the meat to his wife Benani, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanai, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, then finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, "'Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery "'and remember me, and not forget your servant, "'but give her a son, "'then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, "'and no razor will ever be used on his head.'" As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, But her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, "'How long are you going to stay drunk? "'Put away your wine.' "'Not so, my lord,' Hannah replied. "'I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. "'I've not been drinking wine or beer. "'I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. "'Do not take your servant for a wicked woman,' I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home. Ramah. Elkanai made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband, Elkanai, went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband, Elkanah said. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with a with her young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephra of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh, at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who to be here be- beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Thanks be to God.
2: Thank you so much, Carol, and for finding your way through those spectacularly difficult words right at the beginning. It's, it's a great start for a 10, that chapter, isn't it? The Oxford Institute of Reproductive Sciences is not quite the building that you expect. Somehow, as a a couple struggling to conceive, Emily and I were expecting to slip into one of those unnumbered, nondescript NHS bungalows. Instead, we found ourselves approaching this Stunning creation of steel and glass. Easily holding its own in the middle of the Oxford Business Park. Inside, it was bright, technical, and quiet. We were ushered up the stylish staircase into the consulting room. I had never seen so little paraphernalia in a doctor's place of work. It was a reminder that for all our medical strategies, all the many methods that we follow, we recognize the struggle to have children as still a struggle mainly for people, mind, body, and soul people. And so our passage today reminds us it has always been. That's where we begin these verses in 1 Samuel. There was a certain man of ramath Sophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, and Ephrathite. Lots of sons. Think about it. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. As with the whole of the chapter, really, in this ancient account uh, of 1 Samuel, we're straight into the midst of, on the one hand, all sorts of strange cross cultural surprises. What's with the two wives? We might well ask. How does that square with this apparently righteous family man, Elkanah? And there's going to be many more unanswered questions on the way. But then it's also full of deeply relatable, universal human experience. And Peninna had children, but Hannah had no children. Our writer doesn't need to say a great deal more, do they? The story of a husband and wife struggling through the disappointment, the desperation of childlessness, it's a story for every age. Indeed, perhaps for, for some here this evening, this story may be uncomfortably close to home. Perhaps, like me, you can, you can remember the struggle like it was yesterday. That repeated monthly wait for a moment that would only ever end in tears. We'd been married six and a half years by the time we went to that place in Oxford. We'd we'd just bought the book, just the two of us, question mark. We were well in in that mind frame. And of course, for some of us here, it may not even be a thing of the past. Perhaps it's your daily experience right now. At the same time, there may be others for whom it's, it's now the dulled pain of many, many years back. For any number of reasons, perhaps, you, you haven't been able to enjoy the family of your own that you'd once hoped for, and it hurts. The reality is, actually, as you step back from this story, Hannah's grief connects with so many situations of human desperation, where... We just find our deepest human longings have not been met. Now, we will also see, there'll, there'll be more on this next week, um, that there's, there's another side to Hannah's story, which is quite particular. It's not that universal. Hannah's family history and, and Hannah's pregnancy, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, have a sort of very particular role in bringing about the purpose of God through this anointed leader. Remember, Hannah's boy is the same Samuel who this whole book is named after. But this evening, I'd like to walk through Hannah's experience with you as the journey of desperation of any hero of faith, a journey from which any of us can learn as it points us to the one in whom we find all our hopes. And that's what I'm praying is going to be the case this evening, that we would be brought afresh to trust and depend on the Sovereign Lord in whatever we may be experiencing. Now, I want to approach uh, Hannah's journey out of desperation through the lens of what I'm going to call three comforters. Now, they're not all really comforters. Comforters in inverted commas. Three personal encounters that she has that map her way out of her desperation and the first comforter is her husband elkanah and we will see shortly the title of comforter definitely comes in inverted commas but let's notice first of all our author sets him up as quite a righteous man verse 3 now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the lord of hosts at shiloh where the two sons of eli hophni and phineas were priests of the lord so this guy's an upstanding citizen. He takes a lead in shaping his family's devotion. says, look, every year, guys, we're going to make this big excursion, perhaps at the time of one of the annual feasts. We're going to go to the worship center at Shiloh. And each year, he'd bring in an animal, which he'd bought at his own cost. And he, they would receive some of the meat back from the, from, the, from the priests. And then they'd eat that together with the family as part of that pilgrimage. But as the story goes on, for all this man's religious observant, the family feasts were quite miserable. Verse 4 tells us, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, you start to think about this for just a moment, and you can just feel the awkwardness, can't you? The heart wrench, the cringe of it all. Here is this man with his two wives. And he brings the, por- the portions of meat on, on a plate uh, to where all his family are gathered. And he looks up and he says, where am I going to start? Okay, and he starts with Peninnah. Although one imagines he's already sort of nervously glanced over at Hannah to see how she's doing on this really traumatic day. So there you go, Peninna, And here for your boys, Percy, and Peter, Um, and uh, well done, well done lad, you know, for a five-year-old, it's a really long way to come all the way out to Shiloh, and I hear Paisley and Pamela, uh, you know, what a special uh, time all together, you can imagine how desperately is trying to make this occasion a nice one, even though he's just cringing inside, because there's Hannah at the end of the line, Hannah whom he so loves dearly, Hannah who has no children, now, I guess most of us would want at this stage to, to, to bring Elkanah up short and, and just say to him, look, yeah, okay, you're, you're, you're a righteous man and all the rest of it, but do you know what? Perhaps it was just not a very good idea to bring your whole family to this occasion. Perhaps you should have just not even brought both of them. Our author is certainly not squeamish about the pain Um, that Elkanah's setup has caused. But perhaps because he's sort of familiar with polygamy, it was kind of normal, it was common custom, he's not really particularly thinking about that. He wants us to enter into the good that Elkanah is trying to achieve in this relationship. Because it is a very tragic scene. So Elkanah's given everyone everyone a piece except for Hannah. As he gets to Hannah and he says, um, he looks back, along all the children that he's already fed. The children whose mere presence uh, can't help but underline Hannah's barrenness. And and Hannah's desperation is written all over her her face. And he's thinking, what can I do? Darling, what can I do for you on on this day? What a nightmare. Well, he makes a decision, but I think arguably he makes it worse. Hannah sees this family next to her, and he says... The writer tells us her rival, that's peninna used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. peninna starts to provoke her. She starts to goad her for her misfortune. And I guess we can imagine how peninna also has got there. You know, she, she... There's this absurd heap of food on her rival's plate, and that, that says it all. You know, she, peninna may have all the kids, but Hannah's got all the love. It's awful. And this doesn't just happen once. Imagine... Verse 7 tells us, so it went on year by year. Every year this goes on. Every year a charade. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. You get it? massive plate of food. She wouldn't have any of it. What's Hannah going to do with an extra piece? She doesn't need it. The whole point is that she doesn't have a family to share it with like Panina. In fact, she doesn't even want one piece. She's so desperately sad she's off her food. And if it weren't low enough already, and don't worry, it's going to get better in a moment. Elkanah has one last unfortunate attempt at counseling the woman he loves. Verse 8, he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? <laughs> After double portion gate, you really wish Elkanah just to be quiet and stop, right? <laughs> but. He just so badly wants to make things better. He makes them worse. He tries to relativize the problem for her. He tries to give her some perspective. Okay, you haven't got kids, Hannah, but at least you've got me. That happens, doesn't it? I wonder whether you, have you ever tried doing it, taking that approach. We see a loved one in distress because of some desperate longing which isn't fulfilled, and we so wish for them that that longing would go, because then they wouldn't be in so much pain. And so we try to convince them that the thing they long for doesn't matter so much. But you know, even if the longings of our friends and our families are the result of some lack of perspective, I don't know about your experience, in my experience, telling them to get some perspective, telling them not to be disappointed because it's not so bad in the grand scheme of things, tends not to be particularly successful. Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Basically, the answer to that is, uh, no, you're not right now, actually. That's Hannah's first comforter. Now, what do we learn from Elkanah? Well, first of all, we're drawn into the reality of human loss and grief for God's people. We are not to expect that our religious observance is going to isolate us from loss or even desperation. If we're in any doubt on that, just think about the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The second thing we learn is that grief is not simply a problem to be solved or a loss to be compensated. Sometimes as we try to comfort people, we can be so desperate to help that we actually only make the problem worse by pulling the focus back on ourselves. Did you notice that was what Elkanah did? He said, am I not enough? It's not about you, Elkanah. It's her. We need to stop before we get there. Sometimes just as the Lord Jesus Christ wept at Lazarus' grave, even though he knew that he'd be raised, we just have to be there. And thirdly, we learn that no person is ultimately enough for Another. Now, of course, it's complicated here because Peninnah is also there in the picture. But the reality is that even in the best of marriages, even in the best of friendships, there is a limit to what we can do for another person in their grief. Verse 9 tells us, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This was a grief that that married couple could not work through together. This was a prayer that they weren't going to be able to pray as one. And that happens. Perhaps you know the pain of that feeling. That was Hannah's first comforter, her husband, Elkanah. Next, and it speeds up a bit. Next, more briefly, comes the encounter with Hannah's second comforter, the priest, Eli. Eli. We've had that impossibly painful moment at the feast with her husbands, uh, that that blundering food ladle, and his blundering words. And Hannah's got to pray now to the Lord, and she's she's done it in the vicinity of the minister, Eli, who surely has spent a good part of his time at theological college learning how to counsel the grief-stricken, so this is going to go better. But sadly not. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you carry on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. What a mess. The minister is worse than the husband. Our hero, Hannah, she's pouring out her soul to the Lord and Eli is telling her, stop! Spiritual life, it seems, at Shiloh had become so dry. There was so little genuine worship and prayer, perhaps. People become so cynical that God would ever bother to engage with us as his friends that actually... Eli can think of no other explanation for a person coming here and looking like they're praying than that they're drunk. It's extraordinary. The minister of God couldn't spot a genuine relationship with the Lord Almighty, even if it knelt right under his nose. If only Eli had known, if only Enoch had known of the God man who so longs to identify with our condition that he actually came into our world and took on flesh. Of course, the thing is, even if Eli had known that, if he even if he'd interpreted Hannah's actions rightly, the problem is even the most godly and discerning religious leader can only see the outside. But the Lord, the Lord looks at, the Lord cares for the heart. What I cannot see, what none of us actually can see in one another, the Lord sees. It's a good reminder, isn't it, of the limits of any religious minister. The answer to Hannah's despair is not the comfort of her husband, nor that of the minister either. The best of human beings is still a human being after all. But there is a true comforter. There is one. And Hannah knows who he is. She's been busy appealing to him before the minister got in the way, of course. The Lord Almighty. And here she finds what she needs in her despair. We're going to see how Hannah approaches the Lord and the comfort she finds in him. See, first of all, how she brings her the very depths of her despair to the Lord. It says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. I wonder, are you able to do that? When you find yourself in, in a in a situation of real hardship, can you haul out all the confusion and pain from the very pit of your soul and bring it to the Lord? You know, I understand we don't really do public crying here in South Croydon, and I'm, I'm not necessarily going to go into a discussion with you about whether that's right or wrong, but you get the idea. What the Lord wants is for us to bring it all out to Him. Let us not stop at bearing our souls to the Lord. That's uh, Hannah's ability to bring the depths of her despair to the Lord. The second thing, see her servant-hearted devotion, even in the midst of a grief. It's really extraordinary, isn't it? Right next to her immense pain, she is absolutely devoted to the Lord. She says she vowed, it says, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, this business of the razor, it refers to a Nazarite vow. It was a sign of devotion to the Lord. But the point here is not really that Hannah is sort of trying to twist God's arms, make a big promise, now you have to deliver. Even as she asks for the longings of her heart, she, she is just asking that whatever she longs for would be used in God's service. Now, as we, re- as, we, as we think about that request, it, we may be very concerned. I mean, d- does she have to make that kind of radical promise? Well, remember, Samuel, her son, is not any old child. He's a very particular child. God has got a very unique role in his plan to raise up through him uh, the, 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 a new king. So that's, that's part of the story here. But the principle still stands for all of us. Hannah, even in the thick of her grief, sees herself as the Lord's servant. And even when she's in deep pain, she wants to be devoted to the Lord. It makes me think of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember in his, in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So that's her devotion to the Lord, in the, even in the thick of grief. And finally, see how she finds peace in the Lord before she has her longings fulfilled. She finds peace in the Lord before she has her longings fulfilled. Verse 17 tells us, Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Now that moment happens before... Hannah conceives. Ultimately, it's the Lord, even more than a son, that restores Hannah. I wonder what longing you're bringing to the Lord right now. What is it that you're really, really desperate for? Is it a relationship? Is it a set of circumstances? Is it health? It may be so many other things. Do you know that ultimately, he himself, even more than the thing that you ask for, is your answer? The Lord himself. In that way, Hannah finds peace in the Lord. And then finally let's just consider the way she recognizes and declares God's hand at work. Verse 26. And she said, "Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him." So good news comes out eventually. Hannah conceives, she has this son and she's thrilled. But this hero of faith is not ashamed to declare that God has done it and that prayer works well there's so much more in this passage but time eludes us we've seen one plight three comforters neither Elkanah the well-meaning but impotent husband nor Eli the respected but spiritually blind minister are the answer but there is one the one true God the Lord Almighty and through the Lord Jesus Christ we know him even more deeply than Hannah We know him to be the one who has met our every need, past, present, and future by his death and resurrection. And I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with right now, to trust him, even in your deepest despair. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us through your word. We thank you for that hero of faith, Hannah. We thank you for all that she was able to see, all that you enabled her to see, even in the midst of her struggles. And so, Lord, we pray, first of all, for anyone here who is right in the thick of that kind of grief. Lord, we pray that you'd enable us to bring our hearts, the depths of our despair, to you. And we pray that as we do, we would know you to be real and listening. We pray secondly, Lord, for our devotion, even in the midst of our struggles. Lord, we thank you for this picture of a person who, even as they suffer, is able to give their life to you in service. Even as they receive your love and care, to turn it back in faithfulness and obedience. And we pray that you would enable each one of us, in whatever struggles we may face, to face them with servant-hearted devotion, the kind of devotion that the Lord Jesus showed us supremely. And finally, Lord, we pray that you would give us that peace, the peace that the world cannot give, the peace that Hannah found as she came to you and poured out her heart and found in you all that she needed. Lord, this is a supernatural thing. It is not something that reason or calculation or just human perspective can generate. But Lord, we believe that there is such a thing. We believe that there is a peace that passes all understanding, that can keep our hearts and minds in the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would give it to us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.